I always wanted to do this. It makes you look important, right? <laughs> All right. Uh, I've got seven minutes, so <laughs> just gonna, just gonna get there. Um, drugs and alcohol have been a part of my life as far back as I can remember. Growing up in a drug-infested, uh, alcoholic, sometimes physically abusive home, uh, it was the norm for me. It was the norm for many relatives, many people that I grew up with. Um, I just thought that's how life was lived. And through this drug addiction and through physical abuse and domestic violence, it landed my mother and I at the Awake Shelter in 1991. I was 12 years old. Now I know 12 years old is a very significant age in a lot of cultures, but I did not know that as a preteen. There were a lot of staff at the school that I went to that would reach out to my mother and ask if there was any way that they could assist her, specifically with me, but also with her own situation. You see, it was very difficult for me because my mother was my buddy. She was my best friend. I mean, there were times that she would keep me out of school to watch soap operas. Oh yeah, I knew every character on Young and the Restless by the age of eight, every character. We would color fuzzy posters, we would make root beer floats, we would go swimming. But a lot of those good memories had evaporated by the time we got to the awake shelter. There was a track coach I reached out to my mom and says, you know, I want to give your son a ride to school every day. And she said, okay, cool. If you've ever been to the awake shelter, there's a big gate in the back of the facility. To me, that gate symbolized something. It symbolized freedom, but it also symbolized protection. You see, I would walk up to the gate, and then I would press a button, and then this large 20-foot gate would open up. And then I would step out and the gate would immediately close. It would close behind me the pain that I had experienced, but I was stepping into something that I had never really understood as a young man, freedom. I would get in the car with my track coach and he would try to talk to me and I would just have this smile on my face. And now when I look at children, I look at the children sometimes that smile the most because to me that means that they may be hurting the most. But I would put on this smile and this facade and this mask every day and go to school like everything was okay. But it really wasn't. This characterized my life for many, many years. That gate characterized my life for many, many years. If you can only imagine the sound of a large gate opening and closing. Opening to freedom, closing behind the pain. My life was the same year after year. But eventually, uh, I was pretty good at basketball. Google me. <laughs> You're going to see some other stuff on there, but you don't want to look at that. Just look at the basketball stuff, all right? <laughs> I was pretty good at basketball. And so I go to a school in New York. So I'm thousands of miles away from home. And my mother, I had really kind of lost contact with her. At times, she was still struggling her addiction. 
still in this domestic violence relationship with my father. This was before the internet and Facebook and cell phones, so I had no way to reach out to her, and it had been about six months since I spoke to her. In New York, I get arrested for $10 worth of marijuana. Imagine that. They sentenced me to 13 weekends in prison. So difficult because while everybody's getting dressed to go to the club, I'm getting on a bus to go to jail. Not how I plan to spend my weekends. And so after the first weekend, I'm really like evaluating my life. Like, how did I get here? Uh, you were a good student. Um, you, had, you, know, you had a promising future. And so I'm like, wow, I'm missing my buddy. I'm missing my best friend. And I'm walking through a park, and my head is down. In front of me, a taxi cab pulls up. The door opens, and it was my mother. She had rode a Greyhound from Seattle all the way to upstate New York because she had not talked to her baby. I said, Mom, how did you find me? <laughs> and through the tears and through the laugh and the smiles, she said, all I told him was take me to the place where all the black people hang out. <laughs> so I come back to Alaska. I come back to Alaska with my mom, all right, feeling like a, a, a loser, a failure, what am I going to do? My mom loved me, but she did not learn proper love. And I understood that. So I said, Mom, what should I do? Should I go in the military? Should I find another job? Should I, should I go back to school? This is what she said. She said, son, take this seven grams of crack cocaine. Don't make a career out of it, but my baby needs money. You need to get on your feet. You have children now. What are you going to do? So I moved accordingly. We've been talking about generational trauma my grandmother was arrested in 1992 for distribution of a controlled substance. She did 10 years in prison. My uncle, her son, was arrested in 2000, distribution of a controlled substance, 10 years in prison. And here I go, 2008, third generation, 10 years, distribution of a controlled substance. The best thing that ever could have happened to me. Within that cave, within that prison, within that gate, I found myself. I said, you put you here. You chose this life. You had scholarships to basketball. You didn't take your SATs. You gave up on you. I knew I had to change. It was all on me. But not just change, assist others in their change. Assist my best friend with hers. Immediately after prison, my father passed away in 2016. His toxicology report had about 15 substances in there. I knew that I had to go after my best friend. My best friend ended up having a seizure. And so I brought her to my house and I said, you know what? This is the opportunity to salvage my lineage and my family. I kept her in my house for 40 days. She did everything that I did. We went to church, we went to the gym, we went to the movies, we went to Barnes and Noble, we went to the library. We did everything that she had never done. 
40 days later, she checks into treatment. She stayed into treatment for eight months. Today, my best friend has graduated treatment. She is a drug and alcohol treatment counselor. She volunteers at the downtown Hope Center where they ended up giving her a position of employment. And two days ago when I dropped her off, there were 10 people outside screaming her name. Yeah. Yeah. So you can see me, but I can't see you. But best friend, I can see you. And in the words of the most famous poet that I know, Tupac Shakur, there's no way that I could pay you back, but my plan is to show you that I understand. You are appreciated. I love you, mama. <laughs>